So we're in John 8, 8, 12 through 20. And it starts like this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, remember, these are butt up right next to each other with talking about water. And now he's talking about light. So think about that in the context. Again, Jesus spoke to him saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me would not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, are you bearing witness about yourself? Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and I know where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not alone who judge. I alone who judge. But I and the Father who sent me. And your law is risen, written that testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore, who is your father? Where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one arrested him because his hour has not yet come. We have three points for today's sermon what Christ claims for himself, what he claims for his followers, and um, my third one has gone on this, so I apologize. It's probably in this guy. What Christ says to those who reject his claims. Here's a fascinating thing about the iPad, right? This is the, the stuff in the background that you guys don't get to see, but every Sunday I will click on something and something will erase or I'll highlight everything fuchsia, and like every time I'm like, oh, I will fix that. Um, but it just happens up here. So what Christ claims for himself, this is in verse 12. Again, Jesus said to him, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. That's what Jesus says about himself. I am the light of the world. We see in Isaiah 9 in the Old Testament it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light is shown. And further down in this text in Isaiah 9, it says, A child is born, a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus reminded these ones who constantly criticize him of the powerful and prophetic claim that was written down by prophets over and over again and talked about in the Old Testament from cover to cover. And he uses everyday imagery that would have been very forefront in the minds of these people. And that imagery is light. Light. Remember, I, I talked in the past about the water rites when they would have two pitchers and they would pour the water out. And one would be wine, one would be water. He says, anybody who thirsts, come to me. Right? There was water there, so that made conceptual sense for the people. They understand that when they're pouring water and Jesus says, I'm that, they get it. So when he's talking about I am light, we have to understand this. That we're still in the Feast of Tabernacles. That we're still in the Feast of Booths. That feast where they would meet in tents and they would look out in the city and they would look up and remember the wilderness wanderings. Remember the water, right? When Jesus says, come to me and drink, right? 
But see, on the feast, in this time, the temple was illuminated. And it was massively illuminated. It wasn't just a little bit. It wasn't just like a side candle. According to oral tradition, rabbis had gigantic candelabras. And they stood within the court of the women. That's where these big candlesticks were. Now, I want to pause here. Because why did I say court of women? Because in verse 20 it says, The words that he spoke in the treasury as they were taught in the temple, and no one had arrested him, but his hour had not yet come. The treasury. He says the treasury. So we should think, hey, why is he saying the treasury here in verse 20? This is where we get observe, interpret, imply. Slow down when you're reading the Bible. Take a journal. Write down. Find out why he would say these certain things. So the treasury is in the court of women. This is the area in the temple grounds where the golden lampstands were at the Feast of the Tabernacle. This is the area where their torches were lit. And this is the backdrop where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. These aren't little candles again. They're 75 feet tall. Four of them. 75 feet tall. I want you to wrap your head around the magnitude of these sticks that are standing up, right? Each candelabra had four branches, and on the top of each branch was a large bowl, and four men were bearing 10 gallons of oil. 10-gallon jugs of oil, right, would climb up ladders and fill each of the golden bowls and each of the candelabras, and these bowls were then ignited. So 10 gallons of oil in one of these bowls. And there were 16 of them, right? That's a lot. That's huge. Get the idea of the magnitude of that. 16 fire pits with fire jumping up and down. Beautiful. Gold being able to hit and bounce off and reflect. And this temple was on a hill, so the rest of the city would glow and shine, and the entire city would see this. It would light up the entire city. In addition to lights, musicians would play. They would play harps and lyres. They would have cymbals and trumpets, and they would make joyful music to the Lord. This was a big deal, a huge celebration. This was an amazing time of the year. And the light that they lit up in these candlesticks was to signify through a few things. One, it was to remind the people of God's glory that filled his temple. Right? That's the first thing. The second, the pillar of fire that guided the steps of the Israelites as they were wandering in the wilderness. Those are the two things it was really supposed to signify. One, the glory of God being in his temple. And two, a guide. In the person of Jesus, God's glory was once again in the presence of this temple. And God's glory was there when Christ was there. Jesus is the glory of God manifest. He is the guide to guide those who trust and follow him. He is the lamp to our feet. And once again, he uses stuff in the Feast of Tabernacles to point to the fact that he is God, that he is the glory of God. He is the one who's going to guide the Jewish people. So he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. These claims are so exclusive. We can't get away with thinking that they're not. He doesn't say he is a light in the world, but he is the light of the world. Understand, this is why John is beginning the gospel 
in the first place. And if you remember a few months back, we were talking in John 1. It says, in the beginning, the Word. That's Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, who, Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. But we see that in John 1. But that is just taken from Genesis 1, where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was uh, without form and voidless, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light and saw that it was good. And God separated light from darkness. Jesus is the one who brings form to the formless. He is the one who brings light to darkness. He is the one who brings order to chaos, and darkness will not overcome him. Right? I want to say that again because we have to get this. We have to understand this, that Jesus is the one who brings the form to the formless, light to the darkness, order to chaos, and darkness will not overcome him. Jesus is leaving no room for misunderstanding his word. Jesus is claiming to be God in flesh. Through him, all things were made. All things. All things. That air that we're breathing right now, all things. The sun that is shining outside right now, all things. The birds that chirp outside, all things. The gravity that's holding my feet to this platform right now. The blood that flows through my body is held together by him. He is the light of the world. He is the one who illuminates. He is man, God, and flesh. And we as humans, this is why I'm emotional this morning. I told you I'm emotional and you're like, why are you emotional? It's because us, humans, fallen, sinful, foolish, Make mistakes. Disappoint. We have access to God through the one man, Christ Jesus, powered by his Holy Spirit. If that doesn't excite you, he is the light of the world. He is the one who illuminates God himself wanted to reveal himself and his true nature to humanity. Others rejected it. Others rejected it. Others wanted to stay in darkness. That's why Jesus was nailed to the cross. God, who told people who he was, they murdered him. But that murder leads to the redemption that Jesus had being brought. John also says in another book that he wrote, so John wrote a few books, right? He wrote three letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Gospel of John, Revelation. So it's good for us to understand this while we're going through scripture, when we're understanding the Bible. So John writes in Revelation, listen to this beauty, this beautiful thing. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be within the city. His servants will worship him, and they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night in the city. For they will have no need for the lamp, the light of the lamp of the sun. For the Lord God will shine on them, 
and they will reign forever and ever. Light will not cease to shine just because we close our eyes. Light will not cease to shine because we refuse to see it. Dead people don't see. We need to be awakened by the Spirit. Jesus is the pillar of fire and the lamp to our feet. He is the light that brings clarity into the dark world, and we cannot see apart from the light, just like we cannot be hydrated spiritually without drinking of Jesus. So we see what Jesus claims about himself, but what does he claim for those who follow him? We see his claims is that he is God. He is the one that led the Israelites out of the wilderness. His glory is the glory that fills the temple, and he is the light of the world. But what does that mean for us? What Christ claims for his followers. Whoever follows me, this is also in verse 12, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We will have the light of life. What an amazing thing this is. Let us go back to the Old Testament for a moment and talk about the Jewish people. The Jews were led out into the wilderness by a pillar of fire, and this massive pillar guided them by night, providing them comfort, warmth, and helped them not stumble. Whoever follows me would not walk in darkness. Have you actually tried to walk in darkness? Like I have. And I'm not talking about in the spiritual sense. I'm not trying to go that route. I'm just saying in a real tangible sense. You know how scary it is to walk in the dark? Turned off all your lights. If we put out blackout curtains right there, shut that door, shut that door, turned off all these lights. You know how many things all of us would trip over? How many things we would stub our toe on? How many things our shins would get scraped? How many times we would trip and fall, bust our teeth, knock ourselves out? This is the imagery that Jesus used, that we will not walk in darkness. If we are in darkness, we do not see. If we do not see, everyday tasks will become more and more and more difficult. Everything will become difficult if we can't see. This is the point that Jesus is trying to drive home. He's not only water, the very thing you need to survive, but he's also light that provides sight, everything you need to live life. But no, only Christ can give us this light. But through Christ, we won't have to worry about tripping over our sins any longer. Now, this doesn't mean that we won't sin but it does mean we won't have guilt or condemnation from sin. And we have access to the Father because when God sees our sin, he sees Jesus' perfect life, not our own. And we have freedom to repent and freedom from being enslaved in sin. We will see this deeper as we go into John if we read John 8 and spend time in it. That the Son is the one who sets you free and if you are free indeed. We don't have to spend time fumbling around looking for some old light switch to get us into the light. The people had Jesus as a massive pillar to guide them through the wilderness. And he says, we will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. Have you ever tried to do anything in the dark, honestly? How scary was it or difficult? I want to, this is a personal story, but I want to tell you a story about Pops or my father, um, the 15th was two years since he died. Yeah, so this week. And he got a real serious lung infection. 
and he lost a lot of weight, and I saw him, uh, you know, there's a big time in there between like 12, 13 to, you know, in my 20s, then I saw him, um, and he didn't look good. He was living down in Florida, he was living in a small trailer. There was a lack of light due to an electrical issue. It was a small trailer, there was no windows, just a shower, a toilet, and a mirror. And he called my sister up and said he needed to come home. He had a lot of health issues, trouble breathing, too much humidity down there, wasn't helping. You, if you've ever been to Florida, the second you go from Georgia to Florida, it's like everything's wet. You know, it's just everything's moist, and like the buildings are sweating. It's just, it's not good if you have bad lungs. It's just not a good thing to have. And uh, he was having trouble breathing. But I couldn't help when I saw him, and he got off the, uh, the plane. His beard was all patchy. I we had an all right relationship, and I said, what? Why do you look like this? Granted, he was very thin, very frail, did not look healthy. But I couldn't help but to notice the beard. He said he attempted to shave in the dark, but there was no light in the bathroom. And this is what he was left with. And we laughed. And if we try to do anything apart from light, it doesn't work. And I'm just talking about in a real tangible sense, like shaving in the dark, we can end up looking goofy. It's not easy. We can even end up hurting ourselves. We can end up in a mess of trouble. It's hard to do anything. But Jesus is the light to his followers, and we have the light of life. And when we are born again, we go from spiritual death to life, and Jesus is the light of the life, and we have Jesus. We have the God of the cosmos, we have the King of kings, we have his spirit in us, and we are his followers. And the light of the world come and dwells within us. He is a part of us, he is with us, he is in us. We're not alone any longer. We can abide in him. And he is the thing that changes us. And this is what renews us. And this is the thing that will change the world. Walking with the light of life in us. Other things might have the appearance of light. And they might illuminate for a moment. But it's hard to see the big picture when we can only see 12 inches right in front of us. That's why Jesus uses this illustration to communicate this truth. That you guys won't see without me. I am the light of the world. That's what he's saying. He offers illumination on how we should live, how we should be, how we should behave, how we should be living. Jesus offers us illumination, and he answers the question, what is the meaning of life? And naturally, as we hear over and over again, that this does not go well with the hearers. So what Christ says to those who reject their claims the last point. Verse 13 says, So the Pharisee said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judges, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law is written a testimony of two people is true. I'm the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And he said to them, Therefore, where is your father? 
And Jesus answered, You neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And he spoke these words in the treasury as it was taught in the temple, and no one arrested him, because his hour has not yet come. There are many things I could talk about in this section, but we're only going to drill down on one or two points. That Jesus repeats this over and over again. That he has come from his Father, and that he is God. He is the prophesied Messiah, that he has come to die for sins of the world, that he has come, and he says this over and over and over and over and over again, and the Pharisees object. People don't want this. They don't want truth. They don't want to believe in God. They want to believe in themselves. Deep down, they want to be the masters of their own universe. And that's why they don't want to listen to Jesus. It's that simple, black and white. They wouldn't be upset if Jesus says, I am a light of the world, but his exclusivity is what frustrates them. The fact that he says he is the light of the world is what trips him up. This is an eternal battle in the flesh. This is our sinful nature. This is what we deal with day in and day out. This is what we're born with. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that even in our own moral code, we can't follow it. That we stumble in keeping the laws that we make for ourselves. We don't even follow our own advice. That's just the reality. We could be like, you need to do this, you need to do this, and you need to do this. And then we don't follow a single thing of that, and then we're like, all right, yeah, I got it all figured out. But you have to understand we are at war. Between the flesh and the spirit, the Lord's brother James put it beautifully. And I think that this is a wonderful viewpoint of what this looks like. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Wouldn't that be nice? In this day and age, this political climate, what is it that causes all this frustration, annoyance, aggravation? Well, James says this. Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. That's the problem. You are. You are the problem. You desire and do not have, so you murder. And you might be like, Josh, what are you talking about? I'm not a murderer. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that if you have anger in your heart towards a brother, you're a murderer. So yes, you are. If you've ever been angry with a brother, you cannot covet and obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not ask and you do not, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I'm going to read that again because we have a lot of people who, me included, who want to be a friend of the world. I can't. I have to fight it. I have to say, Lord, I don't want that. I want you. Says it again right here. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. These religious leaders are just friends with the world, but they are acting like they're friends with God. This is why they start these fights in the first place. They demand Jesus to show them witnesses, but if you remember us walking through this, he already showed them five witnesses a few chapters ago. Verses 15 through 18, Lord says in essence, you ask for two witnesses according to your law, I will give you two witnesses, me, myself, and my father. They say, well, where's your father? You know me nor my father. If you would know me, you would know my father also. Jesus, he is saying that if you want knowledge of God, you can only find it through him. That's it. If you want to know God, you must know Jesus. And Jesus is the exact imprint of God in human flesh. If we look at Jesus, we see God. And we don't know Jesus, we don't know God. To not know Jesus is to not know God. And this is the exclusivity that Jesus requires. This is what the religious, religious leaders rather live and walk in darkness than come to light. Why? Why do we do it? 
Why do I do it? It's because darkness is familiar. It feels good. It's all they know. Light does what? It exposes you. It shows you for what you are. And that's all right if you get God. It's worth it if you get him. You might not get the praises of men, but you get God. If we do not look at Jesus, we are in darkness. And if we walk in darkness, we will stumble through this life. Like in a dark bedroom, never understanding why you always catch your pinky toe on the side of the corner of the table. Having the light of Christ is our ultimate necessity in our life. No concern or need is more urgent than that. Without it, we will walk in eternal darkness. Do we need the light of life? Do you feel like you're in darkness? Do you need the pillar of fire to help guide your steps? Do you feel lost and hopeless? Once again, I said it three times now. The reason I am emotional is because I need him daily, like food and water and drink. I need him day in and day out. And not only do I need him, but he's willing to give himself over for me. That's why I'm emotional. Because I need someone to help guide me and show me where my path is. Because I mess up even in my own law, in my own moral compass, my own reality that I say, like, ah, oh, you should never raise your voice or you should never lie. And then I say this little white line. I'm like, I I'm a sinner in my own standards. And he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. And I long for that rest. And he is saying, I give it to you. Other people don't do that. Other gods don't do that. They, they want to take and take and take. And he says, I will give you rest. This life isn't meant to do alone. I'm going to plug a few things because I think it is important. We have missional communities, four of them across the city, and it is important to be in fellowship because we can't walk in the light alone. We need to be together. Secondarily, we're a prayerful people. We started praying at nine in the morning. This God who is the light of the world we can communicate with and talk to, it's not a waste of time. One of the most important things you can do we're tired of seeing the brokenness and the heartache, then let's plead and cry out to God and say, Lord, come here and make us new. Give us hope. Give us love. Give us peace. Give us yourself. We can do that together because we believe that God answers prayers. With that being said, I'm going to pray. Jesus, you are the King of kings, Lord of lords, and you are the light of the world. I pray for everyone in this room that we would be equipped to be able to walk in light, not in darkness. Walk in hope. I thank you for each person here. Nobody is here by accident. Nobody is here by happenstance. Father, I pray that they would be full of hope and love. If anybody is walking in darkness, I pray that they would walk in light, repent of their sins, and trust in Christ because you are the source of joy. Everything else is a mere substitute. 
I thank you that we can talk, have our being, have our conversations. And I thank you for each one of these people here. Be with them and bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the uh, 